If you would, please then take God's word and turn back to the passage we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, where we read in verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray together. Most merciful Father, will you show us more mercy tonight? We, in one sense, cannot know more than you have shown in Christ, but we can know it better. We can feel it more deeply. We can see it more clearly. And for that, O God, we crave your favour. Heavenly Father, should there be amongst us this night a man, a woman, a child who feels something of the guilt and the shame of sin, may this even now be a time in which that sin is taken away, that pardon is granted, the burden is lifted, and peace is established. Father, for your people who may have guilt upon their souls, bring us back to the crucified Jesus. For those who have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, may this be the time when their sin is forgiven, And peace is restored. Lord, hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you felt your sin? Such a short word, isn't it, sin? So easy, in some ways, to brush off. Our society doesn't deal well with sin. Sometimes it denies it. Sometimes it redefines it. When it spots what it thinks is guilt, it is merciless. The cancel culture, condemning without pity. The kind of guilt that sin produces, even on a natural level, a sense of our own transgressions, can cripple many because they have no knowledge of what to do with it. Some try to explain it away. Some try to resist any sense of it and tell us that we shouldn't feel any kind of guilt. Some try to excuse or, as we've said, to redefine the offence so that it becomes no offence at all. Others try in some way to drown out or cover over their sin and they do not prosper. We actually, I think, live in a society where the guilt of sin is much more prominent than most people will allow, but we just don't know how to name it and we don't really know what to do with it. But some are sin sick. It's the fruit of the Spirit's work in our hearts. When, as a pastor and a preacher, somebody tells me that they feel their sin when they say, but I am such a sinner. On the one hand, my heart breaks because I know what a load that can be. And on another, it leaps because then I have some hope that perhaps the Spirit of God is at work. Because one of the first indications of the Spirit's operation in our hearts is not that we begin to diminish sin. 
but in fact that sin becomes the more prominent and the more weighty in our experience. You may even be here this evening loaded with a sense of your sin. Now, what happens when sin becomes prominent is that very often we begin to ask the question, can then God forgive a sinner like me? And even if we move to the point of saying God could, then we have to answer the question, will God? The coulds and the woulds, the doubt that sometimes grips us. Because when we do begin to see our sin the way sin really is, it can assume monstrous proportions before us. And you may remember what it's like if you're a believer before you came to Christ, wondering how could it be possible that a sinner like you should ever be able to receive forgiveness? Can God really put away this kind of sin, my sin? Will God forgive? Well, Isaiah 55 is full of pleas to the sin-sick full of divine pleadings, divine beseechings, divine entreaties. There are people here who, who seem perhaps to be bewildered, deeply troubled, who are hungry but don't know where to find food, who are thirsty but don't know where to slake their thirst. They are urged in verse 6 to seek the Lord while he may be found. There is hope. There is an answer to call upon the Lord while he is near. And this counsel is given. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Here is one of the great challenges with regard to those who do begin to feel their guilt. They feel guilty for their sin, but they still want the sin that has caused them guilt. It's too difficult, they may think, to give it up. And the instruction here, the exhortation, is to leave that sin behind. You cannot have salvation while you are still clinging to your sin. But if you will leave your sin, forsake your way and your unrighteous thoughts and return to the Lord, he will have mercy on you. And our God will abundantly pardon isn't it wonderful that the answer is not forget your sin and hope it goes away, but forsake your sin and come to a God who knows how to deal with it. And I want this evening for each and every one of us to encourage us to return to God, to receive his pardon, to rest in his mercy and to rejoice in his saving favour. Our God will abundantly pardon. Let's carry that away this evening. What then does this phrase tell us a repenting sinner needs? Well, as we've already begun to suggest, when the spirit begins to convince of sin, it never appears little or light. I, I, I cannot imagine a persuaded sinner coming before the God of salvation to say, it's okay, it's not much. That, that would beggar the understanding. Rather, the sinner comes trembling, even believing trembling, 
to say, but this sin now seems so great. There's a craving for forgiveness. And it is this great concern then that begins to dominate the sinner's heart. I want my sin put away. I need pardon. I need cleansing. I need forgiveness. Sin begins to assume its true aspect. We see it as dividing us from God. We see it as damaging our relationships with others. Sin becomes vile in our eyes. This man, this woman, this girl, this boy who's begun to see sin as it is both feels their need and has a need. You see, this sense is subjective by which I mean that we feel a weight of sin. There is a burden upon us. It may not have the immediacy of the, the crushing weight of John Bunyan's pilgrim on the way to the celestial city at the front end. Perhaps it's a growing sense. Perhaps it's a developing weight. But it's guilt which brings grief. It is shame with sorrow. It is the kind of thing that, that gnaws at your soul when you wake up in the morning. And whatever you do and however you go about your business and whatever you, pleasures you may seek to try and keep sin and the sense of it at arm's length, it will creep back in. You cannot quite shake it off. No pains relieve you. No pleasures sweeten it. No pursuits can distract you. There is no peace when our sin is on our conscience. Sometimes it only takes a question, doesn't it? Maybe a Christian parent or a sibling or a friend in the church who asks, how are things with your soul? And what may have seemed like a, a reasonably still soul all of a sudden begins to erupt and Perhaps you, you can't even look somebody in the eye. Somebody may ask, are you a Christian yet? And the instinct is to say, how can I be with such sin in my heart? A repenting sinner feels their need of pardon and has a need of pardon. You see, again, the world might explain this away. The world might try and psychologize this. Tell you, you just need a little more self-esteem. Some of you perhaps have, have had this at school, perhaps even as very young children. Or perhaps you've discussed this with people and you thought you were in an environment where you could do so. But you start to use the language of sin. You start to use the language of judgment. So no, 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 nobody should feel like that. Brothers and sisters, everybody should feel like that. That's the reality. The strange thing is not how many people feel that they are under the wrath of God, but how few recognise that this is the root of their issues. A sense of sin, then, is not some mental flaw, not some psychological imbalance. It is a sense of being really and truly under the wrath of a holy God. Our sin is a real offence against the living and true God and it brings real judgment and that ought to grieve us and that ought to distress us and that ought to burden us. 
And it is that sin and its consequences, known and felt, that the repenting sinner desires above all things to have resolved. Do you know it? Have you known it? All have this burden, but do you feel it? Do any of these descriptions apply to you? Are you ready to seek the pardon that you need? What kind of pardon? What kind of pardon does a repenting sinner need? Well, Isaiah tells us that God will abundantly pardon. And this just answers your need. If you're a sinner, then you need abundant pardon. A multiplied and overflowing forgiveness. Why? Well, first of all, because of the nature of your sin. If only we understood it. The worst guilt and shame we have ever felt is actually a feeble reflection of the nature of sin. The real problem is not that we feel too guilty, but probably that we don't understand sin as we should. Sin, you see, is against the Holy One. Sin is contrary to God himself. Sin is an assault upon his name, his nature, his character. Sin says, in effect, I wish God were not there. I want to be able to live without him. I want to be able to do what I please. Guilt is that sense of accountability to God. It's why, as we've said so often, when you talk, talk to somebody on the street about their need of a saviour, when you introduce religion into the question, so often they say, oh, it's okay, I'm a good person. Why do you care? Why does anybody care whether or not they're a good person? If, as so many claim, they do not think that God even exists, why do we need a standard? Why do we need to pursue that goal? Why not live as we please? Why not do what we wish? But we cannot. Woven into our humanity is a consciousness, even if we cannot frame it, even if we cannot describe it, that we are creatures before this creator, that we are sinners before a righteous God. And even at our lowest and worst, there's something of that work of the law written in our hearts. And our sin needs abundant pardon because it is against the high and holy one. The offensiveness, the sinfulness of sin consists first in this, that it is against God in everything that it is, against God in everything that he is. I honestly believe that if we saw sin as God sees sin, we would be crushed underneath its weight. We would perhaps never dare to approach God if God did not at least in some measure give us both a sight of his mercy and perhaps even withhold some sense of the burden of our sins. We need abundant pardon because the nature of sin in itself is so vile and so foul. But what about the number 
of our sins. Can you count the sins you've committed today? Any one of you. Sins of omission and sins of commission. What about last week? How many of the commandments have you broken? We know that in one sense to break one is to break all. But we have broken each of them again and again and again. If you boil it down to that great summary, have you, my friend, loved the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength? No, we have failed to do that again and again and again. Have you loved your neighbour as yourself? No, you have trampled upon him or her again and again and again. If I committed one sin against this God, it would be sufficient to carry me to the depths of hell. But my whole life is a catalogue of sinning. At my best, I continue to leave out that which I wish I could do. Even my ignorance is no excuse. The sheer number of my sins means that I need abundant pardon. What about the greatness of my sins? Because it's not just an abundance of, sort of small, low-level, fairly negligible and unimportant sins. How often have you sinned flagrantly? Have you skin, sinned scandalously? Have you sinned grotesquely? Have you sinned shamefully? Have you sinned unnaturally? Is it not that in some particular sense, at some particular point, have you never sinned and thought, my God, how can I be such a person? Where did this come from? How did this come out of my soul? Have you shocked yourself ever with your sin? Found yourself thinking, I am vile through and through if such a thing can come from my soul. It's the greatness of our sin that makes us say, Lord, we need an abundant pardon. What about the repetition of your sins? How many times, perhaps even after the kind of experience I've just described, have you said, never again? And have you not found yourself at times returning like a dog to its vomit? Over and over and over again. The temptation comes. The battle is joined. The dog gets its teeth into you. and Shakes and shakes until you stumble and fall. Kicking yourself doesn't begin to define it, does it? With all your resolutions, with all your determinations, with all your convictions. And yet Satan seems at times to be able to wait for just the right moment where opportunity and inclination coincide. And there you are, sliding once again into the filth and into the muck. You struggle and you succumb. What about the aggravation of your sins? When you sin, though you know better. When you sin, though you've heard a sermon against that very sin. When you sin, having just perhaps read the scriptures. 
When sometimes in the very acts of private devotion or public worship, it seems like all manner of uglinesses and blasphemies come into your mind and your soul cries out, Oh God, here? Now? Under these circumstances? When I ought to be most finely tuned in my devotion to you and now I'm battling with particular sin? I've been given instruction. I've been warned against these things. I've got parents or friends or pastors who've encouraged me and assisted me and charged me. And still I have sinned. And sometimes I have compounded my sins. I've lied to cover a sin. And I've needed to lie again to cover a sin. And then I've needed to tell more lies to cover the lies that I have committed. And I've found myself trying to conceal these sins. I've tried to cover them over. I've tried to hide them away to see if I can put them somewhere in a corner. I've wanted to live and I've tried perhaps to live in the hope that no one will ever uncover the darkness in my soul. Yet I know that the sins I've committed have been stirred up. They're dressed in their gaudiest colours. In the face of all the obstacles and barriers and warnings and opportunities, still I have sinned and sometimes I have clutched that sin to my heart and not let it go. I need an abundant pardon. My friends, that's me. That's you. What of us? What about the great swarm of sinners? Do you ever wonder about the aggregate of sin, not just of your own soul? What about the aggregate of the sins represented in this room at this point in time? What if you could heap them all up together? What if you could build a mountain of our sins? How high would it climb? How far would it reach? How deep would its roots be? How broad would be its base? If you and I, each one of us, were somehow able to visualise or concretize our sins, to realise them in some physical form and to begin loading them into one great heap. For the sins for which I need abundant pardon are the sins of one sinner among many. Where is their pardon? For a sinner, let alone for sinners as a whole. What is it that the repenting sinner needs? It is a pardon which sweeps all the sin of the repenting sinner entirely from the record. Now let me be clear here. That when we repent, we never repent of all our sin. Because we haven't figured it all out yet. But the repenting sinner, perhaps coming with some particular sense of that sin upon their conscience, wants all their sin forgiven. You remember how the psalmist cries, Lord, see if there be any wicked way. I don't even know. I can't even see the depths of my sin or the breadth of my sin. But I need it all taken away. I need every last shred to be blotted out. I need every stain to be washed or I cannot stand before a holy God. Blot out my transgressions, all of them, each of them, 
utterly and entirely is the desperate need and cry of a repenting sinner. And it may be that that sounds like an utter joke. Like the worst kind of tantalising joke that could be played. Where can you find forgiveness like that? Who can offer pardon on such a scale? Who can blot out transgressions of such a nature? Hear the cry of Isaiah. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Turn your back upon those sins. See them for what they are. Confess them as they are in truth. Let that sinner return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My friends, it is the very God against whom we have sinned who has the answer to our sins. It is the holy and high Lord of all who is ready to put away iniquity like this. We're not told to make an effort. This pardon must be given. This is not the counsel of despair, for such pardon is freely offered. There is no need for confusion, because forgiveness here is plainly revealed. And we should by no means dismiss either the problem or the cure, because God himself shows that it is needed. If you have sinned against someone, from whom do you need forgiveness? The person against whom you have sinned. It is almost counterintuitive. I think in some senses it is counterintuitive. Did you not read this morning? I think I've even preached on this text. It is stunning. Psalm 25 and verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Does that not seem like a strange logic to you? That you should go to the God against whom you have offended and say, O Lord, because my sin is so vast and so vile, I want you to pardon it. What possible plea could you have for your name's sake? Oh God, what will show that God is a forgiving God if not the forgiveness of great sins? The abundant pardon that comes from the heart and hand of the Almighty and the All-Holy glorifies Him. For He is the offended one. He alone is entitled to forgive your sins. And He alone is able to extend pardon of the nature that you need. Why? Because the abundant pardon that a great sinner needs must be in keeping with the very nature of this God. God forgives on a God-like scale. He is infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his mercy. He is greatly faithful to his promises. His heart 
burns with love. He is ready to receive the repenting and returning sinner. There is no one who can forgive as God can forgive because he himself is God and it is abundant forgiveness, abundant pardon, abundant putting away, multiplied and overflowing, an ocean of pardon to swallow the mountain of our sins. It is in keeping with the nature of the altogether holy and high God to forgive abundantly and it is in keeping with his character. Is he just? He is and he will not simply overlook transgression as if it is nothing. But the just God is a good God. He is a kind God. He is a merciful God. And such is his wisdom that he has made a way whereby he can show his justice while demonstrating his mercy. That he can reveal his righteousness while displaying his goodness. It is entirely in keeping with God to be merciful to this extent. Return to the Lord. Why? He will have mercy. Come to God with your sin in all its horror and heaped up vileness. Why? Because with this God and with this God alone is abundant pardon. Sufficient to swallow up and sweep away every transgression that you have ever committed. Only our God can and will deal with us in this way. When the sinner asks, can I be forgiven? The answer is not, well, look at your sin. Maybe we can manage it a little bit. But look at this God. Do you see who and what he is? When we ask, will he forgive me? We can plead from our own experience. We can testify from our own understanding. We can show from the scriptures. We can reason from God's own words that it is his delight to put away sin, that it is his honour to pardon our transgressions, that there is nothing that so magnifies the mercy and the goodness of our God as with perfect justice and uprightness to take away every sin and all its consequences from the sinner who comes to him. This, then, is a God he is a God who can and will abundantly pardon. My friends, it's put in the language of determination and conviction. Not that God is able to pardon, but that everyone who comes to a pardoning God finds the pardon, the abundant pardon that this God offers. A pardon that is entirely suited to the need of the penitent sinner. My friend, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how grievous your sin, if you're saying, but I'm coming for the first time and I've got a heap, a whole lifetime of transgression upon me, or if perhaps you're here as a Christian this evening and saying, oh my God, how can a child of heaven behave like this? Where can I find forgiveness? Where else will you find forgiveness?
To whom else would you turn? Where else in heaven or on earth will you find such pardon as that which comes to sinners from our God? It is full, it is entire, it is overflowing, it is multiplied. Where has God provided for such pardon? What is the answer to this conundrum? How can such a God put away sin? In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's what Isaiah is reaching toward. And that's what God is holding out. Are you hungry for mercy? I have food. Are you thirsty for forgiveness? I have something to drink. Where will you seek this? What will you give for this? What are you prepared to invest? Will you listen to me? Will you come to me? Will you hear and your soul shall live? I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Where is this David? Who is this David? Where is this king among kings? Where is this Lord over lords? Where is this redeemer? Where is this one who will receive those who come to him? Does it seem strange to you? That the God against whom you have offended should offer this salvation, this pardon, this forgiveness at nothing less than the cost of the blood of his own incarnate son? My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. My friend, if you could understand this, then it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to communicate? This is Godlike. This is divine. God doesn't think like us. Our reasoning is so petty and so poor. How can someone like me be forgiven? And God's answer is, in effect, is it not a good thing that I am not like you? Is it not a great thing that I have in my soul a love and a mercy and a goodness and a kindness, a wisdom and an understanding by which a way has been made for you to come into my presence. Have you felt your sin? Do you feel your sin? In one sense, it is no bad thing for unforgiven sin to come back into our minds when we begin to contemplate the transgressions of our hearts because we know what to do with it, or we should. What will you receive if you come repenting to a forgiving God? I can guarantee the answer. I'm not guessing I'm not suggesting, I'm not hoping, 
I'm not tempting. I am guaranteeing. If you come repenting to God, if you will forsake your ways and your unrighteous thoughts, if you will return to my Lord, he will have mercy upon you. If you come to our God, he will abundantly pardon. If you come to this God and he does not pardon, I will stop preaching this gospel because it's a lie. I cannot come into this pulpit and offer something that is not true. God himself is the guarantor of his own forgiveness. You come to him. He will put away your sin. Have you come? Then you are pardoned. Your sin is put away. God himself will remember it no more. And what do we respond? I trust with thankful hearts. Not half believing. But wholly persuaded. That through the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins has been secured. That he has put away sin. And that this then is the bliss of my heart. This is the joy of my soul. That I should thank God for what he has done. Not doubt whether or not he has done it. I should thank him. I should love him. How can I not? How can I not love a God who has made himself known in Christ in this way? How can a sinner receive such abundant pardon and not delight himself in the Lord his God? How can the face of Jesus Christ be anything but delightful to the soul of the man or woman, the child who has received abundant pardon? We thank him, we love him, we serve him. Lord, what do you want of me? I am ready to give it. Anything, everything, utterly and entirely. Lord, if you have put away my sin, then all I have is yours. My friends, that's not the payment of a debt. That's the delight of a forgiven man or woman. What shall I withhold from you? When you have given your son, that I might not die, but live. What will happen if you stay away? It breaks my heart to think that perhaps for some of you again this night you have heard of a pardoning God and you will go away unpardoned. That forgiveness has been held out and you might be here saying don't want it, don't need it, don't feel it, don't care about it. You do need it. If you don't think that, pray God in his mercy to give you a sense of your sin. Pray God in his mercy to give you such a sense of your sin that you cannot and will not rest until you have come to him for the pardon that only he can grant. But oh, what a fearful danger that someone here tonight might despise the mercy of the altogether merciful God. How many times is God obliged to keep holding out his pardon to sinners like us? 
How often? How consistently? Yes, he is most gracious. But you may yet spurn his mercy. And turning away from him, never find your way back. Do not lose your soul. Do not lose it this night by turning your back upon God. Forsake your way. Turn from your thoughts. Turn back to the Lord. If you do, God will have mercy on you. Come to God this moment. Not just this night, but this very hour. He will abundantly pardon. And all the guilt, and all the shame, and all the sorrow, and all the pain, and all the fearful consequences of the sins you have committed against him, will in the moment that you come to God by Christ, be utterly and entirely swept away. And peace and joy and eternal bliss will be yours.